Alright, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Last week we looked at this Gentile woman who needed deliverance for her daughter and she pleaded, begged Jesus to show up. And he responded graciously and favorably and and did so. We, we talked about approaching Jesus in faith and how Jesus responds favorably to us when we approach him in faith on our behalf and on, on behalf of others as well. And then we see Jesus heal this deaf man with uh, taking some, putting his fingers in his ears and taking some spit and putting it on his tongue. And, and, he, and he uses some very strange method uh, to, to bring healing to this guy. Nevertheless, he heals him. Okay? And, 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 and sandwiched in between that miracle and another miracle at the, towards the end of this chapter, Mark chapter 8, Jesus heals a blind man. We see Jesus dealing with those who are spiritually blind. Jesus dealing with those who experience spiritual blindness. And we see that he's the one who opens blind eyes. Amen? And so, turn to Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV Bible. In those days... When again a great crowd gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to, the, to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can we feed these people with bread here in this desolate place. And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? Does this sound familiar? We just just a few weeks ago we, we went over this in Mark chapter six. How many loaves do you have? They said seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, having given thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to his disciples and set them before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these, that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Remember the previous miracle was twelve. They were, they were about four thousand people, and he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat, and his disciples went to the district of Dalmatha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. (laughs) 
And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not, uh, do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes you do not see. Having ears you do not hear. And you do not remember. When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, and how many baskets were full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not understand? So here's our big idea this morning. Jesus patiently dealt with spiritually blind people in ministry. And he faithfully shined the light of his truth and demonstrated his power to give sight to blind eyes. Jesus patiently dealt with spiritually blind people in ministry and he faithfully shined the light of his truth and demonstrated his power to give sight to blind eyes. Now let's look briefly first at this miracle. Jesus miraculously fed the multitudes to show them that he was enough. Now previously in Mark chapter 6, we saw Jesus feed 5,000 people miraculously. The disciples didn't know where they were going to get bread for all these people. It's like they, they had this big conference away from the city, and they have 5,000 people to feed, and they're like, Jesus, send them away. We need to get some rest. We can't feed all these guys. We need 200 denarii to, to do that. That will cost us. We can't afford that. And Jesus puts the pressure on them, and he says, you feed them in Mark chapter 6. And I love that. Because it, it's, it, that's what ministry is. Jesus calls us into these spaces where we can't do in and of ourselves what he calls us to do. We need his power, his provision, his presence, his guidance. And Jesus showed up. And he did what only he could do in feeding the 5,000 folks there. Well, we, we have this scenario again, and it's a different location, a different people. Uh, there are probably more Gentiles in the, this multitude of people here, okay? Because Jesus is in Gentile territory, and we, we emphasized last week how Jesus, Jesus prioritized Israel in his ministry, but he came for the whole world. The gospel would go to Israel from Jerusalem. And, and, and herald throughout the whole world, and the kingdom of God would spread from there. Well, theologians point out here that this could certainly be an indicator of Jesus' great plan for the whole world. As Sinclair Ferguson says, this miracle foreshadows the gathering together of those from every nation under heaven to the feeding of God's people. Jesus is going to have a people from every tribe and every tongue worshiping around the throne. And he will lead and feed his people forever. Uh, another theologian says that the feeding of the 4,000 shows that Jesus is the living bread for Gentiles. Not just the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. Since it is likely it likely occurred in Gentile territory. 
Now it's interesting to note that the Gospels all record Jesus feeding the multitudes. Okay? And so this is something that the Bible wants us to understand. The writers of the Bible, the Holy Spirit who inspired the writing of Scripture, He wants us to understand this. He wants us to learn from this. Just as Jesus wanted the disciples to learn from it, He, he did the miracle twice. Okay? As it's been said that repetition is the, the mother of all learning, right? We need repetition over and over again. We need to be told over and over again. Right, parents? As we're trying to instruct our, our children, right, teachers? As you're trying to instruct your students, repetition, repetition. Well, Jesus did that with his disciples. But they, they struggled to understand what was going on there. They struggled to grasp the depth of meaning. John brings out this meaning in a very profound, clear way when Jesus performed this miracle. And Jesus, John records Jesus explaining to the disciples what this meant. He said, I am the bread of life. Okay? Jesus does a miracle and feeds multitudes to point to the reality that he is enough. That he is the bread of life. Jesus said, and he quoted from Deuteronomy 8, Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And if we just seek to have our bellies filled with, with physical bread, we're going to miss the bread from heaven that Jesus wants to satisfy us with, namely himself. In John 6, 48, he said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give, that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus gave his life. As a sacrifice so that you and I can experience nourishment. So that you and I can experience Him as the Good Shepherd. You and I can experience Him as the bread of life. The only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. In John 6.35, Jesus said, um, He who comes to me will never hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. And so we come to Jesus as his people. We come in faith and he quenches the deepest longings of our heart and our soul because he is the bread of life who gives eternal life and abundant life. But the disciples were slow to grasp this. Here we also see in the middle of this, this, uh, this story here, this chapter, we see the Pharisees pop back on the scene. We've already seen a couple of run-ins that Jesus has had with the Pharisees. They've given him a hard time already. Um, uh, verse 11, they came and they begin to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. They wanted him to, to prove himself. And Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and got into the boat and he went away. The Pharisees were spiritually blind. They came 
demanding a sign from Jesus. And Jesus had already performed many miracles that they knew about, that they were aware of. Jesus had displayed his power already. And his fame was spreading. People were hearing about it. But they wanted a sign on their own terms. They wanted Jesus to play according to their rules. And Jesus wouldn't comply at all. Jesus performed his miracles out of compassion to serve people. Not for the sake of entertainment to amuse people. Nor to prove himself to the religious establishment. He wasn't going to pass the test in which they set the terms. He was not trying to satisfy the curiosity of spectators. He wasn't trying to impress the affluent and influential with his power, with his miracles. And he wasn't going to be their puppet. He wasn't going to pass their test and, and perform a sign as they requested of him. He wasn't going to cater to their hardness of heart and their unbelief. He had done enough already. And so they came. They, their, blind, their blindness was stubborn unbelief when sufficient evidence to believe was right before them. They were willfully blind. They were willfully blind. They were stubbornly blind. They had learned the scriptures. They had learned so much about the Messiah, so much about prophecy. And yet when the Messiah is right there before them, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, healing the deaf and the mute, and doing the things that the Messiah would do when he came, they didn't believe when they had enough evidence right before their eyes. Jesus, in this context, he gives a warning, verse 15. He gives a warning to his disciples, and they misunderstand what he's talking about. Verse 15, he said, he cautioned them, and he said, watch out. Be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they begin discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Now, the disciples didn't plan very well. And they, they had leftover bread from this miracle, but they didn't bring enough with them for their picnic, for the for their travels, right? And so Jesus uses this as an opportunity to talk about spiritual things, and they're still thinking way down low, okay? They're still thinking bottom shelf stuff. They're still thinking uh, on the ground level kind of stuff, the natural. Hey, we didn't... How are we going to get lunch? How are we going to get food? We, we, left, we don't have... All we got is one loaf here. And Jesus is trying to teach them and giving them a warning about the Pharisees. Watch out for this leaven from the Pharisees. One theologian, uh, Donald English, says, Jesus in Mark's account here is warning the disciples against failing or falling into the Pharisees' mistake of needing incontrovertible proof about who he was or of Herod in refusing to follow the light he had authorizing the death of John the Baptist. All they can think about is bread for the next meal. If the Pharisees are demanding a special display of divine protechnics, 
in the heavens to convince them the disciples have not yet got their eyes off the ground level. The one group is demanding far too much. The other is expecting far too little. And so Jesus gives a warning about the Pharisees and the inherit, and he says, "Beware of the leaven." Typically, when leaven is used in Scripture, it's used in a negative way to to refer to evil and the spread of evil and guard against it. There's uh, one time where Jesus uses it to to speak about the exponential growth of the kingdom, but typically, it's used in a negative sense because leaven spreads. Okay, leaven affects and, and spreads. Um, so the other thing I want to point out is that the disciples also dealt with spiritual blindness or dullness. It wasn't just the Pharisees who had trouble seeing. It was Jesus' disciples who had been with him, who had been doing ministry with him. Uh, they asked in verse 4, how can one feed this people with bread here in a desolate place? Now, they've already seen Jesus show up. Now, I don't know exactly the tone and the heart behind this question. You know, I don't know. I don't know if it's expressing doubt, which some commentators may may point out. Um, um, but but they're asking Jesus here. Uh, it, they're, they don't sound as negative as they did the first time. Um, and, and, just, and, and trying to deal with this issue, perhaps they're even they're, they're, they're saying, hey, how, how can this happen? Maybe they're looking to Jesus this time. OK, uh, we don't know for sure, but we know that they're struggling still to understand spiritual things that Jesus is trying to teach them. Jesus was aware of this and he, and he said, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts Hardened. Jesus points to that their, their lack of understanding and their lack of perception, their spiritual blindness was due to hardness of hearts. They needed some help to see. Jesus instructs them, he teaches them with, with several questions. And when Jesus asks questions, it's not because he's trying to get information necessarily. It's a teaching moment, right? He says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Okay. So there's, there's an opportunity right there. Okay. Reflect on what's going on in the heart. Why don't you understand? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? Did you forget? Do you forget what just happened and what happened before? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets were, were full of broken pieces uh, how, did you take up? And the seven uh, for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Did you not understand? And so Jesus is teaching them through these questions. Come on, guys. Did, did you miss it? Did you not understand? Did you not get it? Kent Hughes says this. He says, in those questions, Jesus told them their lack of understanding was due to their hardness of heart. Of course, they were not hardened to him. Of course, they were not hardened to him. They were his followers. The problem was familiarity. 
the repeated exposure to his teaching, when not reflected upon and acted upon, worked a progressive insensitivity and dullness in their lives. Let me repeat that. The repeated exposure to his teaching, when they uh, exposure to his teaching, when they had not. When not reflected and acted upon, worked a progressive sensitivity and dullness in their lives. We experience this as well when we fail to think and act upon what God has revealed to us. It was the case of the use it or lose it. They were not appropriating what they were seeing and what they were hearing. Okay? Um, I remember... Early on, it, as a as a kid, not realizing that I needed contact lenses or glasses, I didn't realize that my vision wasn't 2020. And I played sports, and no doubt that must have affected. I could have been a lot better uh, football, baseball player if I had glasses. I know it. I know it. Uh, and at one point, I got glasses and I got contacts, and I could see the ball better, and I can see how far people were uh, away from me. And I could see facial expressions better. Okay? And, and it's, it's beautiful when you can see the world, when you can see the colors, and you can see all the details that God has created in this world. When you see as God intends for you to see. And there are many people, and even Christians, who have blurred vision, and they struggle to see clearly. They struggle to perceive, and they struggle to understand, and a part of the problem here is hardness of heart, or perhaps laziness, perhaps a, a lack of response and, and, and diligence to what God has already taught us. We want to move on to learn new things. And God's like, hey, well, let's come back to this, this old thing that I've already taught you that, that you should apply, right? And so if we want more understanding and more revelation, we've got to obey what God has clearly already given to us. We've got to take heed to what he's already communicated to us. Parents, you, I'm sure you, you've had this experience like, like I have when, uh, when it comes to having your kids clean your room or do something you told them to do and it's not done and they want to move on to the next thing like a movie or a show or something fun. Well, did you do that other thing that we asked that I asked you to do, right? Let's go back to that 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 simple act of obedience that I asked you to do before we move on. Um, what we see here with Jesus is we see him dealing with these guys with patience. These guys, these, these disciples were knuckleheads. These disciples were were slow to get it, and I hope you're as encouraged as I am by reading about their example. And reading about Jesus' gracious and patient example in working with them as they struggle to get it. One of the things that we can take away from this passage is that we are to be patient with others as we're trying to lead them, parents and teachers and, and anyone who's leading others. If J.C. Ryle says uh, in his commentary on Mark, he says, Their slowness to learn undoubtedly is amazing and blameworthy. But his patience never gives way. He goes on teaching them a little here and a little there. Let us do likewise. 
Let it be a rule with us never to despise the weakness or dullness of young Christians. Wherever you see a spark of true grace, however dim and mixed with weakness, let us be helpful and kind. Let us do as we would be done by. Okay? Reflect on how gracious and patient Jesus was to the disciples and reflect on how gracious and patient Jesus has been with you. Parents, let us teach our children, instruct our children with patience. Give them time and space to fail and to learn from their failures and to graciously instruct them and, and avoid condemning them and shaming them. We see Jesus patiently working with these guys. And we're encouraged by it. And we, we also see that within this, that, that the, the change is, is gradual. The change in their lives is gradual. Right? Though Jesus has already opened their eyes and they have partial understanding of Jesus. They, they, they're, they're followers of Jesus. They saw in Jesus enough to leave everything to follow Jesus, right? Right? But they still lack. They still need more revelation. They still need more understanding of who Jesus is. Another theologian says, followers, however dull and unfaithful, are patiently instructed. If they follow along the way Jesus leads, they will eventually be transformed from mere data collectors into meaning discerners. It all hinges on the decision for or against Jesus. Though the disciples had some common blindness that the Pharisees had, they weren't willfully blind like the Pharisees were. They were just immature. They just had some stubbornness and some dullness and they had some rough edges that Jesus was patiently working on to help them become who he had called them to be. Remember, he said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And Jesus is committed to doing that in each one of us. He is faithful to complete the work that he started in us. And to illustrate the point here, and actually before we go there, um, just think about in your own life. Just like the disciples who struggled and, and were afraid when there was a storm at sea. And they're, they're, they're freaking out. Okay? And then Jesus comes again and he's walking on water and they're freaking out. It's a ghost. And he says, do not, do not be afraid. It's me. Believe. How often do you and I, after we've learned that Jesus brings peace to the storms of our lives, how often do we get worked up after he's already taught us that he's the Prince of Peace, that he's sovereign over all? The disciples with the, with the, the two miracles of the, the feeding of the multitudes. How often do we, after Jesus has taught us that he's the provider, that he's enough, that he's going to come through, that he's going to provide the daily bread, how often do we get anxious and worried about how we're going to make it the next day or the next month? After he's already taught us, after he's already shown us, how often do we, 
get impatient and harsh with others who are slow to grasp and understand after Jesus has been patient and gracious and kind with us. And we've learned that this is his heart and this is his way. So to illustrate the point, Jesus performs another miracle. And I think that it's strategic that Mark sandwiches the healing of the deaf man in Mark chapter 7, the end of Mark chapter 7, and the healing of this blind man in Mark chapter 8. Because Jesus is the one who opens blind eyes and opens deaf ears. Verse 22, join me here. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought him, brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and he led them out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. <laughs> And then Jesus said, and then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent them home, saying, Do not even enter the village. So Jesus opens blind eyes. He miraculously did this in the physical, and he does this with spiritually blind people. He does this with those who struggle to perceive and those who struggle to understand but are committed to following him as he did with the disciples. As uh, Rick Watts said, like, like the man blind, Peter and the other disciples needed a second touch since they understand neither who Jesus really is nor the centrality of the cross to his mission and therefore their discipleship. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at the latter half of Mark chapter 8, where Peter gets revelation and, and declares revelation of who Jesus is. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in Matthew, Jesus, Matthew records that Jesus says, uh, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but the Father did. Okay? You see, Peter needed divine revelation, and God graciously gave it to him. He opened up his eyes. And then in chapter 9, we see Jesus revealing himself at the Mount Transfiguration. And they see his glory in, a, in an even deeper way with Moses and Elijah there. And he opens their eyes to get a glimpse of who he is. Nevertheless, there's this gradual progression of growth and, and understanding as they're carried along. Even into the book of Acts, we, we see Jesus still working with Peter to get on board with his great redemption plan for the whole world, right? And so God does this kind of work with us. He works with us gradually, and it is discouraging so often when we see our lack of growth, our lack of maturity, when we've been walking with the Lord for many years, sometimes we get discouraged when it's some of those same old struggles that pop back up and that we find ourselves giving into and, and yielding to and, and failing at. But Jesus is gracious and Jesus is patient 
And so we should be with others who are walking with him. And as Jesus, in two stages, healed this blind man, okay, it points and indicates that his disciples also need more than one stage of their eyes being opened up. Followers of Christ need ongoing insight and revelation that comes from the Spirit of God, that comes from the Scripture that we have, special revelation. And so again, Jesus opens blind eyes, he opens deaf ears, and he uses very strange means in doing that. He, he uses his spit. Now, for those of you who are in, in speech therapy or work in the medical field, I would not recommend these methods of, of, uh, of helping your patients. <laughs> Give them a wet willy, put some spit on their, on their tongue. You might get in trouble, you might get fired, right? Uh, but Jesus, for some reason, uses these uh, interesting ways uh, to communicate and bring about a miracle. And we see this happening in stages, uh, which, which theologians point out that this is, this is like the growth of Peter and the disciples. The understanding that that's, they're growing in and learning who Jesus is. And what he means with all these profound teachings about who he is and what he came to do. And who we are to be as his disciples as we follow him. Eugene Peterson comments um, on the miracles in, in Mark. And I just thought this was, was uh, insightful. I'd like to share with you guys. Thirteen miracles are recorded in this short book. Twelve performed on Jews and one on a Gentile. The miracles are recorded for two reasons. First, they have historical value. They inform us what the man Jesus did. Okay, they have historical value. Second, they have relatory value. They tell us something about Christ's redemption rule. Okay, Jesus feeding the multitudes. With, with bread, miraculously, pointed to the reality that he's the bread of life. Jesus healing the blind man. John chapter 8, verse 12, tells us, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who, follow, he who believes in me will not walk in darkness. The miracles point to the person of Jesus, who he is. They're signs, they're pointers for us to grasp who he is. And so they have historical value, and they have relevatory value. They tell us something about Christ's redemption rule. They are windows into the way things are done in God's kingdom. The place where everything is done well. They are flashes of insight into the kingdom. Someday we will be inside the house and miracles will no longer be the exception. They will be the norm. What we call a miracle is now merely a glimpse into the perfect rule of God. It shouldn't surprise us that Jesus does these things in real history, in time and space. He heals sick people because this is the same one from the beginning of creation spoke, let there be light and created. Amen? Amen? And so let me just close with a couple of points of application here. First of all, resolve 
to guard your heart against spiritual dullness, spiritual amnesia, spiritual laziness, indifference. Guard your heart against it. Guard your heart against the leaven of the Pharisees. Okay, which in, in Matthew he describes it as their teaching, in Luke twelve one he describes it as hypocrisy. Be aware of the, the, the leaven of the, the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Be aware of this this leaven of of having external religion looking very impressive externally, but having no substance internally. And integrity of heart, having lack of truth and integrity of heart, lack of spirituality and relationship and connection and true worship internally. Be aware of having uh, the external looking really good, focusing on the external so you can impress others, being religious pros, but worshiping in vain before God. So guard your heart against spiritual dullness, amnesia. Remember. Remember, as the disciples tend to forget and the Israelites tend to forget uh, and we tend to forget, remember what the Lord has done and said. Remember that. Uh, Alexander McLaren said, remember, uh, commenting on, on this section in Mark, he said, remember and be thankful. Remember and repent. And remember and, and have hope. Okay? Remember. Don't forget, we, we all are prone to forget. We're prone to spiritual amnesia. And if you allow yourself to coast spiritually, you will forget the good things that God has done. Our hearts are prone to wonder, the hymn says. Lord, I feel it. And so resolve to guard your heart. Remember what the Lord has done. Reflect on his words and his works. Reflect on what they mean. Okay? A lot of times we, um, and we see this with, with children, a lot of times we hear something and we think we know it and we're like, yeah, I got it. understand. And we just move on too quickly. We move on too quickly. And there are certain there are gospel truths that we need to penetrate our heart about who Jesus is and what he came to do and how the kingdom of God operates. And we need to ponder. We need to be like Mary who treasured up these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. The things concerning Jesus, the things that the angel of the Lord declared about Jesus in the coming kingdom. We need to let it sink in. And we need to rely on and ask the Lord to open the eyes of our hearts. As Paul prayed in, in Ephesians chapter 1. He prayed this powerful prayer. Verse 17 through 19. That, that the Lord would... That the Spirit, the Lord would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. We need to pray with the psalmist, David, open up my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. We need to ask God to open our eyes, lest we become spiritually dull, 
unless we fail to see the goodness, the beauty, and the truth that the Lord has uncovered for us to grasp, to get, to enjoy, and to be changed by. If you want to be changed into Christ-likeness, you need to behold His glory. You need to behold His beauty and just sit there. Reflect on who He is. Second Corinthians 3, uh, verse 18, it says, But we all with unveiled faces are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. We need to behold His glory, behold His beauty, and allow the Spirit to do His work in our hearts, opening our eyes, giving us understanding. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Kevin, if you would come up. Kevin, the team's going to lead us in a, in a prayer song, asking that God would do this very thing that we're talking about, opening our eyes. So... So, Father, I, I thank you that you've given us light. You've give, given us revelation of yourself, revelation of your Son. And I pray that we would walk in the light that we have and that you would give us more, that we would see more, that we, we would see more clearly. God, would you clean the windshield? Would you clear our glasses, our lenses, so that our view is accurate? Our view of you, our view of the world, our view of ourselves, our view of others. That we would get your point of view, your perspective. Lighten the eyes of our understanding. Help us to see the great hope of your calling that we have. The riches of your glorious inheritance in us, the saints. Help us to see the power that works towards us who believe. May we live with the awareness of that. Keep us from being like children who are just playing with mud puddles rejecting a wonderful trip to, to the beach wonderful vacation at the beach keep us from settling for less than what you have for us may we follow you may we see you show up in our lives in Christ.